This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. We're here. We're doing the thing. I've had a, uh, just a slew of tech issues the past couple of days, but we're figuring it out. We're doing the thing. This is one of those shows that took a couple of days to put together. I was not available to do a show last week. I tried. I just didn't have everything set up. Didn't have the internet. Things were getting crazy. And had a little bit of travel, but here we are. And what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen this week. You're going to get a show today, the show you're listening to right now, and then I'm going to do one on Friday as well because there's a lot of things that happened this week. Last week was a little bit slow, so I wasn't super bummed on missing a show even though I do uh, not like missing shows, but it happens. It happens when you got a lot of chaos in your life. So going to do one today. We're going to try to do one on Friday as well, maybe a weekend show. We're going to put some stuff together. We can find enough quality news. Maybe do another Q&A. I really enjoyed the Q&A piece, uh, the kind of ask me anything section of the show. And please let me know. Find me, find me on Instagram. Shoot me a DM and let me know if you liked that kind of Q&A section on the show where I can just pull five or six things from, from the gram and bring them to the show. So Couple of things. Let's do a little housekeeping. We made a few changes in the way that we put out our video content on YouTube. If you are a YouTube subscriber, which I hope that you are, and if you aren't, get your ass over there to YouTube. Um, YouTube has an algorithm change where they they have a preference for authoritative sources. So if I'm talking about Kamala Harris or if I'm talking about anything really, um, they're going to put me behind MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, like all of this, and then a handful of other people that. They consider authoritative sources. So instead of doing all the work um, to do each individual video on YouTube, we decided to go with a kind of look at the breaking points premium style where we um, uh, have a full length video, the full podcast split up into chapters. You can skip forward, you can skip things, you can move around and all that kind of fun stuff. So that's going to be the way that things are on the YouTube now. I think this is going to do better for us. It's going to be way more efficient and provide us more time to do other things, which we're working on uh, right now, one being an extra show each week. So we'll be doing a twice-weekly show, aside from the premium show that is crowdsourced from the Patreon for the Patreon, where things get a little bit more weird, a little bit more in-depth, and uh, we don't have as many restrictions on what we can do and say, and really... Within the Patreon, you get a chance to just ask me whatever you want and force me to talk about whatever you feel like you want me to talk about, which I think is very fun. Very fun. Because sometimes people in the, on the, are on the DMs, and the DMs are like, hey, talk about this thing. And I'm like, are you in the Patreon? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then fuck you. Leave me alone. I don't really say that. I say, well, maybe. But <laughs> this is a chance for you to, to strong arm me in doing whatever you want me to do, which is an interesting situation to be in. So we've got that going on. So that's going to be a change in the YouTube. Uh, one of these days, I'm actually going to get a taller chair. If you're watching the video portion now, I feel like I'm at a, in a child's chair at my large desk, but it's working. We're figuring it out. Uh, so I keep adjusting myself. It feels very strange. You know, with what's going on now in Cuba, Haiti and Colombia are all kind of like in tatters and it's just it's like it's chaos, right? There's a lot of chaos going on around some of these countries that have been hammered pretty hard by COVID and the economic fallout, particularly of COVID. 
And one thing I'm noticing, we're not going to dive into that one because I try not to speak loudly on things I don't fully understand. So I'm trying to get as much context as I can via people like Matt Taibbi and, and Glenn Greenwald and the people over at Breaking Points and anybody that I can find that has a, I feel like a, um, a common sense approach to assessing the Cuba, Haiti, Columbia situation. It's really complicated. There's a lot going on. But I want you to notice, like, Colombia has been in a bit of a uh, mess for a while. Uh, Cuba is in a mess right now. But which one's getting more traction? Just ask yourself that. Which one have you heard more about? Um, and you can tell yourself, well, I'm hearing a lot more about Cuba, right? The Cuba, Cuba, Cuba. You're seeing American flags. People are reeling against communism. You don't see that in a place like uh, Colombia. I think Ecuador is actually in some kind of, like, civil war right now. You're not seeing those kind of things. You're seeing the ones that fit a media narrative. So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind that what you're seeing right now when it comes to chaos abroad um, is fitting a media narrative because there's enough things to do. You could cover all of them. They have these, these major media companies have the resources to send journalists wherever they want to go. But um, within that being said, with that being said, they're going to pick the one that fits the narrative that they want to preach, which is generally American exceptionalism um, and not really about like global news or, or geopolitics. It's, it's an interesting thing. And you're seeing a lot of, this is one thing that really frustrates me as well and kind of inspired a little bit of a, a, a post I put up on Instagram that started a little bit of a fire. This idea that, that conservatives pretend to care about Cuban people uh, just so they can, you know, use communism to beat us over the head yet again. Right. It's like communism, communism. It's like, guys, you got to, you got to, it's like they didn't hear the little boy that cried wolf, right? That old fable. It's like, you can't just cry communism for 60 fucking years. Like, can we just like have a more nuanced approach to this? Maybe that worked in the McCarthy era, right? Maybe that like, is the cold war never going to end? Are we still going to be doing this? I understand there are inherently evil things that happen within communism and authoritarianism within communism, right? But I don't see you highlighting it with like the benefits of some of, of some socialist leaning programs that's happening in the in this in Scandinavian countries. And people will say, "Well, the corporate tax rate is different there." I'm totally down to adopt that here as well, even though this country is way too big to have any kind of single economic program be adequate. But this idea that it's like, why isn't? And you have you have Marco fucking Rubio. Right. Coming out and doing a video being like, why isn't President Biden? Um, uh, uh, what is he? What is it? What is the word I'm trying to look for here? Why isn't President Biden uh, condemning these Marxist communist evil regimes? And it's like, do you understand you sound the exact same? You sound the exact same as just a couple of years ago, whenever all the liberals were like, why can't Trump come out and and and. And to talk about white supremacy, like it's a, it's the same fucking thing. Like I don't understand without a sense of irony, without a sense of irony, you come out, you come out, and you say the same exact thing about a different boogeyman that you that you you know rail against, right? You your boogeyman is communism, and the liberals' boogeyman is racism, and you're doing the same fucking thing. And it's like without any, it's like do you know you? How do you not see it? How do you not see it? And then the funny thing is these people that are like hardcore, maybe libertarians or capitalists, if you want to call them whatever you want to call them, right? Are like, well, you know, when you criticize capitalism, it's like, well, the United States isn't real capitalism. And then you go look at their stories and it's like just waiting for uh, communists to say that Cuba isn't real communism. I'm like, do you not? There's, there's, there's zero irony, zero irony in what you have to say here. You're literally saying the exact same thing. You're saying the United States isn't real capitalism because you have a capitalist bias in the same way that somebody who has a socialist bent is going to say that, you know, X, Y, or Z isn't real socialism. Because at the end of the day, it's not. Because these are economic principles, 
right? Economic principles that don't consider human fucking nature. Human nature, the human element in all of this, right? Communism makes sense. Libertarianism makes sense. Laissez-faire capitalism makes sense. Uh, socialism makes sense. Cap- like all these, all, They all make sense. They all have merit on paper. When you add the human element to things, that's when things get screwy, right? Because they're unpredictable. And then you have a capitalist system that, that hinges upon humans being rational actors and consumers. Are you, are you high to think that humans are rational actors and consumers? No, they're not. No, they're not. If that was the case, we wouldn't have an obesity epidemic. We wouldn't, like, what is this, <laughs> right? What is this? So this is a weird situation to be in. And so instead of trying to like get into the geopolitics, which I'm not qualified to dive into, but want to learn more about, and I'm using this as an opportunity to learn more about what's going on, I wanted to just point out some hypocrisy that I saw there as well. Something else that I noticed that we're not going to cover in depth on the show and go too deep into is these Trump lawsuits over uh, social media, right? So he's suing these social media companies as well as their CEOs. Um, And it's a big thing. It's a big thing. He's fundraising off of it. It's a whole song and dance, which is fine, right? Which is fine. And and totally support his uh, ability to do that. But what I don't support is someone using this as a grift to fundraise off of. And that is exactly what it is. And there's one real simple reason why that is absolutely true. Because Trump did not even file those, those lawsuits in the correct state. He filed them in Florida, not in California and not in the proper county where that is required in the terms of service with these tech companies. Okay? So he's filed lawsuits in the wrong state. And what's going to happen is you got to fundraise off of this song and dance headline, right? And OAN and Fox News are going to be cheering him on, even though his lawyers are either incompetent or doing this on purpose because he doesn't actually want to go to court. He just wants an opportunity to fundraise and grift off of this bullshit, right? So he files them in the wrong state. And no one's going to accept that he's a fraud because they're like sycophants and they're in like a, a bit of a cult here with this Trump dude. So he files them in the wrong states. They're going to get thrown out. And now he gets a chance to fundraise on filing the lawsuits and uh, crying about them being thrown out because he is, is, is doing it on purpose or just generally incompetent. So I don't want to give that too much airtime, but I want to let you guys know that these lawsuits from Trump are filed in the wrong States. Those are a few things I wanted to cover that I didn't want to put in the actual state of things and go into in too much depth, but just keep that in mind. Before we get into the show, I got to give a shout out to Jen. She just joined the Patreon community. Thank you so much. You were loved. You were cherished. You were honored within the premium community for the politically homeless. If you want to join Jen, go to patreon.com slash politically homeless or just click that link in the show notes. It's easy to find. It's easy to join and it is fucking worth your hard earned money. Now, it's time for the state of things. Let's get into it, right? Meow. Every now and then, every now and then I read a thing. I read a thing that um, brings joy to my heart. And as much as the DNC is frustrating as fuck, just like so hard and so corrupt and so just dark, well, the DNC and the RNC are just dark, evil entities. It's like they, they operate, it's like they escaped the upside down from Stranger Things and now they run the world. Um, so we've got this situation here where they're just generally incompetent and, and, and evil forces for, for, for darkness. And 
And then every now and then you feel like, oh, hey, maybe an administration, maybe the DNC, maybe somebody has got some sense. Now, we're going to talk about something that we're noticing here uh, when it comes to Kamala Harris. And then later on in the show, we'll talk about how the DNC is trying to implement some Orwellian measures. But let's check this article out to start it off here. We've got um, Democrats fear Kamala Harris can't beat any GOP -er in 2024, including Trump. <laughs> Which is absolutely true, by the way. It's one of those things where it's like, we all knew this. We all knew this was true. Like, this was the case. She has terrible political instincts. She's really bad in a debate. She couldn't even make it to Iowa in her own primary. She was ranking third or fourth in her own home state. Oh, she has a track record that is easy to drag her through the mud, and that's the situation we're in with Kamala Harris. Now, before we get into it, I want to say if she was running against like a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Lauren Boebert or Matt Gates or somebody like that, yeah, she'd probably win. Right, because she has name recognition, because she's currently the vice president. But anybody that, uh, like um, Ron DeSantis, Trump, even like a Rand Paul, like any of these people, um, would demolish. Liz Cheney could beat this woman, right? And her dad is a war criminal. So we're in the situation. We've got this, and, and the administration is starting to notice somehow, just now, like it's a mystery like how, how it took them this long to realize that Kamala Harris is absolutely unlikable, has terrible political instincts, and is a horrible politician that has no values and no standards for her own behavior. And that shows in the way that she treats her staffers as well. So let's go down here and see. Democrats are increasingly fearful Vice President Kamala Harris's missteps will open the door for Republicans to regain the White House, a new report said Friday. Dems, including senior White House officials, fear that Harris will lose, any Republican she lose to any Republican she faces, including former President Donald Trump. If President Biden does not seek a, a re-election in 2024, God, get out of here, New York Post. Jeez. While Harris will, <laughs> at 56, Harris is more than two decades uh, Biden's junior and has been considered the heir apparent for the for, uh, to the 46th president since she has, since he selected her to be his running mate last year. While Harris will still be the presumptive nominee if Biden becomes the first president since Lyndon Johnson did not seek a second full term, Axios reports that a series of blunders have left officials and operatives concerned. No shit. And no shit. <laughs> right now, one operative told Axios, the feeling among Democrats isn't, oh, our heir apparent is fucking up. What are we going to do? It's more that people think, oh, she's fucking up. Maybe she shouldn't be the heir apparent. Thank God. Some common sense. Finally. Harris has repeatedly been criticized for her handling of the illegal immigration crisis along the U.S.-Mexico border, a problem that Biden dumped into her lap on Mar in March by tasking her to deal with the root cause of the issue. So here it is, right? Kamala Harris, we've seen so many things. The border thing, the haven't been to Europe thing, um, her staffers coming out, there's been leaks out of her, out of her staff that are saying like, hey, this is a really challenging person to work for, which actually those reports have been corroborated by people that worked for her as uh, the district attorney or whatever she was, or attorney general of California. All of this stuff to say, this is a terrible candidate. She was a terrible candidate in the primary. She's a, she would be a terrible uh, presidential candidate. You would see identity politics get thrown in our faces, which are losing steam, right? In the same way that these Republicans for the past 60 years have been yelling about communism forever to where when they say communism, like the immediate response from anybody with four brain cells is an eye roll, right? If that's not what you're just already wanting to hear, if it doesn't fit your confirmation bias, you're like, oh my God, here we go again with the communism, right? It's like the crazy uncle that just won't shut up at, at, at Thanksgiving about the commies, like that whole thing. And like the Bernie Sanders memes and all this other shit that's going around. Like 
they're doing that, and, and but but the the flip side of that on the on the Democratic side is that this identity politics game just keeps getting played over and over again, and it's like, oh well, the first black woman president, which would gain some votes. Let's be real. But what you're seeing now, more and more, which is actually really bringing some joy to my heart, is that uh, racial categories aren't voting as a monolith, and they've been treated that way by the Democratic Party for so long. I mean, you saw Hispanic voters trend heavy towards Trump in the 2020 election, right? And that says a lot. To me, it says like people are getting, becoming more and more flexible and can't be treated as these like demographic groups alone because they're being split so much. And you're seeing that more and more uh, the people that they say like got Trump into office, like white men shifted more towards the left. And we're seeing more and more of this kind of the, these idiosyncrasies when it comes to polling and outcomes of elections. So that's great, in my opinion. I think that creating more chaos and in, in, in unpredictability within the voting block is really, really good, in my opinion. And it, it creates um, a situation where they're not so targeted in their approach, which gives us a little bit more opportunity to see who they really are. But we already know who Kamala Harris is, right? She's Hillary Clinton 2.0. And the Democrats, in, I mean, let's be real, neither political party does very much self-reflection or has has an iota of, like, uh, of self-awareness, right, within their own ecosystem to understand how they failed and how they can move forward. So we're going to talk about Kamala Harris here, and then we're going to go and talk about what Trump has said just recently. But what we're looking at here is, is these two people who are kind of the apparent nominee, right? The, the the leader as far as when it comes to the nominee being the worst two options possible pretty much, right? Of of the front runners, of the people that have an actual chance to become the nominee, the ones that are in the lead right now being Kamala Harris and Donald Trump are the worst two options for so many reasons. If you're if your goal is to bridge some kind of divide and bring together a nation, those are your two worst candidates. Now, if your goal is to continue to divide a nation and make us hate each other even more, then Trump and Kamala are your best options. That's your goal. But to me, I'm trying to fight hypocrisy here. Right? I'm trying to move more people to politically homeless. I'm trying to recruit people into this mindset of always voting split ticket because that's reality. And that's the world that we live in, where depending on your state, depending on your values, depending on, on what works for you, depending on your family and, their, and your needs, right? Depending on what you see is broken, that should influence your voting, not the D or the R. And if we're looking at this right now, this is, you know, with, with, with the Trump and Kamala situation being the front runners right now, of course, we've got three years. We've got a while Kamala would not make it through a primary. She would be attacked relentlessly. And I hope someone like Tulsi Gabbard would get in there, even though she's not going to get the nomination, just to tear her down again. I would like to see her just tear Kamala down again. Terrible candidate, terrible person, terrible political instincts, and not a representative of, 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 the, of the new Democratic Party and where the Democratic Party is leading and looking at kind of the civil war that's happening within the Democratic Party, not going to be um, the kind of person that will win. That's clear. And we're seeing the Biden administration distancing themselves from that opportunity or from that option right now. So that's a good thing. I love seeing that. Again, brings a little bit of joy to my heart to see someone being honest on the left about who. I mean, you know, not even the left, in the Democratic establishment. Someone being honest within the Democratic establishment about who Kamala Harris is actually is okay what do we got next trump trump said he's made up his mind about running in 2024 during a hannity exclusive so we had a town hall here with hannity and trump let's jump in here and just see what's going on i'm going to try and like uh, adjust the levels here so you don't have audience uh, applause blowing your eardrums out let's see what we got 
We don't have a lot of time, but let's talk about your future plans. Now, I have a funny... Let me ask the crowd, of everybody here, would you like to see the president run again in 2024? Big applause there. Big applause from his fans. You're not going to answer, but I have to ask. Where are you in the process of, or have, let me ask you this, without giving the answer what the answer is, have you made up your mind? Yes. I think you got it right. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so that's where we're at there. I mean, that's really it. And, and Hannity goes on to just, like, suck him off for the next five minutes. But we look at this, right? So Trump's made his mind up. Trump has made his mind up, he says, which what Trump says doesn't have much bearing on reality. Um, and that could mean that he's not going to run. That could mean he is going to run. But let's just assume, because it seems that way, and it seems like he's, he's hinting towards him running again. You know... In a similar way that I look at Kamala Harris and her situation as as the presumptive nominee three years ahead of the election, we've got a long time to see what shakes out here. Trump's an old man, okay? Trump's going to be nearing 80 by this time, I believe, uh, something like 78. Maybe I may be wrong on the math there, but I don't really know how old he is, and it's hard to tell because he's orange. Um, but when we look at this situation, you've got this guy, right? And you can't sit here and tell me. You cannot, in good faith, sit here and tell me. And maybe I would love to hear um, a some kind of some kind of argument for this, but I can't imagine that, you know, we started the Trump era. We had a four-year Trump, or maybe really the five-year Trump era because there was a lot of Trump in the news, and that was one of the reasons, if you read Matt Taibbi's book, Hate, Inc., how much free press he got really led to his presidency, and a lot of that was led by the liberal media just wanting views, right, or wanting owning an audience, which made sense for them, and it made them hella money over that four-year period with Russiagate and everything else. And there was a lot of... of skewed, hyper-biased coverage of Trump, which was not helpful. But was he somewhat responsible for that? I would argue yes, right? He didn't conduct himself like an adult. He didn't handle himself appropriately. He had very little, like, um skill set when it came to juking and jiving around those kind of questions and handling them. It was like the more he could be in the news, the more attention he got, the better he was, which is why in some ways the Biden presidency is kind of a breath of fresh air because he's very hard to attack, right? He's actually more Teflon than old Teflon Don because he's just like doing his thing and staying quiet, which has been a nice little reprieve in my opinion, just being able to like take a breath, reevaluate and move forward. So not that I'm a Joe Biden fan by any stretch of the imagination. Don't get it twisted. So we have this situation here where Trump's like, oh, yeah, I'm, 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 I've made my mind up, which means he'll probably take a stab at it if his health is holding up. But when we look at the whole situation here, we have a bunch of these people who are, who are either 80 or nearing 80, right? Trump, Schumer, Pelosi, McConnell. These people are all like going to be by 2024, like in their 80s or very, very close to it. I think Chuck Schumer will be the youngest and he'll be well into his 70s at the time. So we got this situation where all these people are making these decisions, right? Like, I don't know, maybe they've, they've, They've been in politics forever. They've actually been a part of this of the neoliberal expansion. If you're talking about the Democrats, the the Clinton the Clinton era that all of us are fucking sick of this neoliberal bullshit. This shift away from the working class, 
right? That's what neoliberal. If you want to just boil neoliberalism down, and what has had people running away from the Democratic Party for so long is their shift away from working class people to your white collar college graduates. They 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 shifted their focus very clearly and intentionally away from the working class, which they used to be the party of. Right? We had the FDR like party. Right? They they they. They ran away from FDR politics. They ran away from New Deal politics. And they moved towards neoliberalism, which was biased and focused towards college graduates, right? And with that situation, you have this this deepening divide of people who feel like you know the the Democrats look down on them for being you know they call them racist, they call them um, what did what did Hillary Clinton say um, deplorables? Like that's a normal thing for 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 liberals to say now, and it's created more and more of a problem. And then you have this this basket of resentment from one side to the other because one side thinks the other one is snooty and staring down their nose at them, and the other side thinks that the that that the the conservatives are stupid. And we have the situation that's very real, right? And that's why you have this rural area versus metropolitan area divide. That's really the divide within the country. And this college graduate, college graduate versus non-college graduate um, divide. And, and one of the things that's really interesting when you look at that situation is that if you did not get a college degree, you probably spend most of your time around other people who didn't get a college degree at work doing whatever it is, whether you're, you know, went to trade school or something like that, which I find very valuable. Um, trade schools, oil and gas, whatever it is, right? Um, grocery store clerk, like these kind of jobs. You're around other people who are in the same, similar socioeconomic status. If you went to college, you got a four-year degree or a master's degree or something, a higher level degree, you're probably spending more time around people that also got college degrees and are college educated, which puts you in a situation where you are now not only in an echo chamber on social media, which is incredibly pervasive, but now you're in an echo chamber in your own social circles and you don't invite in. That's one of the reasons I'm so grateful to be from where I'm from, right? Because I was raised by someone who got a seventh grade education, who had to drop out of school because uh, his father died and he had to take care of his family. And had, I mean, from paper routes to a fry cook to working oil and gas, like literally one of those like pull yourself up by your bootstrap stories whenever that was a real thing. Literally my fucking hero, right? My grandfather. So we had that situation where I grew up around that. I have a lot of buddies who didn't graduate high school who work in oil and gas. I know these people intimately. I love these people, right? I also went to school, got my degree, and I got a chance to like be around all kinds of different people, people with master's degrees. And I hosted a podcast for five years. So I've talked to PhDs and different kinds of leaders in different spaces. So it's given me a kind of a diverse view of understanding like what different people feel, think, and experience. And I think that that's something that we're missing here, right? And that's leading to more partisanship. That's leading to more divide. But if you look at it in, in reality, yes, the talking points have gotten more partisan. The media has gotten more partisan, but the general person has not. They've actually drifted towards the center. And you're seeing that even though those people generally aren't as loud, they do exist and there's more and more of them. So this kind of shit, right? To, to all this to say, this like Trump situation People are tired of this right now. Will Trump could Trump win again? Absolutely. He's the conservative option. If you're a conservative, that's the direction you're going to go. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's good for the country. And you can't sit here and tell me within that four year period that Trump was president that after that four years, things were better. People hated each other more. And yeah, they're both sides are responsible, right? I feel Trump has some responsibility and I feel the, the, the people that were just calling him a Nazi every five minutes also bear just as much responsibility because he did not conduct himself like an adult. And what I would like is someone who can conduct himself like or himself or herself like an adult in the White House, right? Someone that has leadership ability. Trump is a lot of things, right? He's a great reality TV show personality. He's a big personality. He's got his own special kind of charisma. That's his thing. 
And that's great. That's fine. I understand. I get I get the appeal. I really do. I don't like the guy because I don't I don't have a lot of respect for that type of person, but that's just me and that's my own projection. I don't need to project that onto anybody else. Okay? Now I understand, but I do understand, like I said, I understand the appeal, but we need to be honest with ourselves and understand that that person is not the person to make a better country for us as a whole, right? If you have someone on the conservative side, like a Ron DeSantis, right, who is really good at deflecting stupid fucking questions he gets asked, right, where Trump, he makes too much news out of it, right, where Ron DeSantis kind of laughs it off and is like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I've noticed that in his interviews, and I think that's the kind of personality that the, that the Republicans need to lean into hard, right? Not Christy Nome from South Dakota. Not her, right? She was coming at Ron DeSantis in a way at the at the uh, at CPAC Texas. It was just like it's already beginning that they're starting to eat each other, right? You need someone like Ron DeSantis, right? If you had and just think about how great this would be, and just putting this out there, if you had a Ron DeSantis and Tulsi Gabbard ticket, right, that would be unbeatable. It would be unbeatable because there's a big fuck you to the left, to the to the, the, the not the left, the DNC, right? The D, it's a big fuck you. So, so Tulsi Gabbard being like, hey, you guys screwed me over. So now I'm going to go be a running mate of, of, um, uh, with, with a Republican and here you go. And that would destroy, it would crush. And they would, there were all the attacks would just, I mean, the Russia collusion attacks, all the shit that the DNC is going to do out of their playbook wouldn't work. They'd be bulletproof. Right. And that would be huge. And even better if they took the unity 2020 type of model here and then switched in four years. So in 2028, Tulsi ran as president with DeSantis as her vice president. That would show some unity that would bring people together because there are a lot of people on the real left, right? Left, left of center like me, but are, that are politically homeless because the Democrats are not what we think, what they pretend to be. That would bring people together in a way that I think would be just incredible for the country. So what I'm pushing for is a DeSantis Gabbard ticket. And I would love to see that. But the Republicans need to understand that to do something great, to really bring something forward that is going to give them a lot of leverage. Because what's right now, the Republicans have an opportunity right now. They have a huge opportunity because the resentment towards the Democrats is high. It's running very high. But when you bring forth something like a Trump again, right, a Trump second term, when you bring that forward, it only shows that you cannot grow and evolve. And I think that, that, that people really, really need to understand that. They really need to wrap their mind around that. No matter how much you love Trump, you've got to see the bigger picture here. And you have a huge opportunity, a huge opportunity to gain so much leverage, so much leverage. Distance yourself from some of the silly policies. Go in there saying, hey, we're going to decriminalize all drugs or, or legalize marijuana, like something like that. We're going to continue building on Biden's troop withdrawal. We're going to be minimal inter interventionists here. We're going to decrease the amount of spending we do on our military, things like that. We're going to end regime change wars. That's a Tulsi Gabbard like token statement, right? Which is one of the reasons the DNC didn't want anything to do with her. You can see these kind of things bubbling up and we know, I mean, we listening to this, you have to understand, right? Like what I'm saying isn't crazy. What I'm saying makes sense. And if we can see that and get together on this, it can do us a lot of good, but Trump is not the answer, okay? He's going to run on election fraud. He's going to do the whole thing, the whole song and dance. He Just like when liberals' brains got broken when Trump won, Trump, the MAGA right, their brains got broken when he lost. And he lost, y'all. Like, he, it's, it's important to accept that. He lost. Okay, as someone who was not going to vote for Biden, who, who had to, like, hold my nose and do it, 
because of Trump's actions, because of the way Trump was behaving himself, and because like, I was just so over it. Like, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud that I had to do that. I don't want to vote against someone. That's not how, that's not within my value system, but I did. And a lot of other people did too. A lot of conservatives did too. And you've got to understand that's why he lost. It's not, a, it's not a fraud. It's not a thing. It's not a, some, I know all the audits and all this other shit. Listen, the MyPillow guy is wrong. Trump lost. And you need to reflect and move forward. Because you've got a huge opportunity here and you don't want, I don't want the conservatives to blow it. I really don't. And they've got a huge chance and they need to do something with it. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs, the creators of one of the most delicious and nutritious beverages you'll ever put in your goddamn face. Here's the thing. You're not hydrated enough. I say it all the time on this podcast. Everybody out there is thirsty, thirsty for so much, thirsty for you know appropriate regulations, maybe thirsty for healthcare, but overall, you're thirsty for that H2O. Now, what Element is, is a blend of magnesium, salt, and a few other things that help maximize the absorption of water into your system. And the reason you want that is because hydration is incredibly important to cognitive function, to body function, biology, you know, all the science shit. This isn't, this isn't my ex area of expertise, but the people that created Element, Rob Wolf in particular, are fucking icons. Icons in the health and fitness space. Serious, real-life game changers, people that you can trust. There are not many people you can trust when it comes to your health and well-being. Sure as fuck can't trust pharmaceutical companies. I mean, that's that, that's abundantly clear. But when there's people out there that are putting their neck on the line to provide you with appropriate and accurate information that it helps you become healthier, well, then we've got something to talk about. Then we've got something we can do. And Rob Wolf at the team over at Elemental Labs are those people. Now, they got a bunch of flavors. What you can do is go to drinkelement.com slash wanders and get a variety pack. Just pay $5 to cover the shipping, but that's not enough. It'll it'll cover, I think it's like seven or eight packets. It doesn't matter because it's not enough. You're going to need more. You're going to need a full-on big-ass box. And when you get a big-ass box, here's the flavors that I recommend for you. Raspberry, delicious. Lemon habanero, if you like a little bit of kick, that's the move. Overall, general best flavor, in my opinion, is the watermelon. Check it out. Head over to drinkelement.com slash wanders. Get your variety pack. Of course, it's five bucks. Add some stuff to the cart. Do yourself a favor. Stay hydrated. Stay moist. Stay healthy. Stay alive. We've got a lot of work to do. And I need, I need you to be hydrated whenever we turn the Patreon community into a violent militia. I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. That was a joke that was said in jest. But what I am serious about is how great Element is. It tastes awesome. There's no sugar. It's so good. And you will. my water consumption is through the roof. I've never been this moist in my entire life. Never have I ever. So check it out. Choose by all kinds of people from the special forces to high performers to smart people to athletes. You know what's up. You know what's up. Drink Element, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash wanders link is in the show notes do yourself a favor and load up summertime is here and it is time to hydrate stay moist drink element.com slash wanders so this is really really strange and we're going to dive into this this may take us a little bit a little while to get into this but this is this whole situation right here is i find incredibly odd so we've got this uh article from politico it says potentially a death sentence white house goes off on vaccine fear mongers the administration that has shifted to a head-on strategy to dispel fear mongering over its door-to-door effort so the biden administration is going to send people door-to-door um 
with vaccine information. They're not actually taking the vaccine door to door. It's religious leaders and community leaders that are going around sharing information about vaccine sites, um, yada, 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 right? Just like, it's the same thing. Generally, when someone comes to your door offering salvation, whether it's Christians or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're full of shit, right? <laughs> like, so this is just another thing. This happens all the time, right? The Mormons on their little bikes with their little white shirts and their ties cruising around, like offering you uh, the eternal life. Like, it's the same. It's the same shit. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. It is what it is. They're going to go to just the same way they walk around um, doing door to door stuff for voter registration or whatever. It's not, this is not that big of a thing here. They're going to say, hey, here's the areas where vaccine, um, vaccines are the lowest. They're going to go talk to people. If you want them, you want them. If you don't, you don't. So a lot of people that want to get vaccinated can't because they can't take time off work. And if you want the vaccine, you feel like it's appropriate for you. I think you should be able to get a paid day off to go do that. Uh, and if you have any, you know, adverse effects, which is happens often, then maybe you need another paid day off. That's all things that that company should be doing right now. If they actually really want their people to get vaccinated. Um, it is what it is, but there's more, way more to this than what the headline suggests. Let's cruise down here. The, minor, the Biden administration is casting conservative opponents um, of its COVID-19 vaccine campaign as dangerous and extreme, adopting a more aggressive political posture in an attempt to maneuver through the public health conundrum. Yeah, that's really helpful. The White House has decided to hit back harder on misinformation. And anytime you see the word misinformation anywhere, know that you're about to be fed a pile of bullshit. The White House has decided to hit back harder on misinformation and scare tactics after Republican lawmakers and conservative activists pledged to fight the administration's stated plans to go door-to-door -to, -door to increase vaccination rates. The pushback will include directly calling out social media platforms and conservative news shows that promote such tactics. There's a quote here. It says, <clears throat> the big misinterpretation that Fox News or whoever else is saying is that they are already essentially envisioning a bunch of federal workers knocking on your door telling you you've got to do something that you don't want to do. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor, said in an interview Sunday, that's absolutely not the case. It's trusted messengers who are part of the community doing that, not government officials. So that's where I think the disconnect is. Fauci, the disconnect is that no one wants to fucking listen to your goddamn mouth anymore. Like no one, no one gives a fuck. You have done more to degrade the trust in institutions within this country than anybody else. Anybody else. Right? Like you're in bed with the most fucked up corporations. You have lied over and over again. No one wants to hear words come out of your fucking mouth, Fauci. That's where the disconnect is. Understand that, my friend. Fauci took some of that messaging to Sunday cable news shows, including underscoring the idea that door-to-door -door vaccine efforts are an attempt to remove barriers, barriers to access of the 99.5% of deaths due to COVID among people who are unvaccinated. Da -da 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 -da. He said that kind of data hits you right between the eyes, whatever, whatever, blah, 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 blah bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Okay. This is where it gets sketched. And I don't understand how this isn't the headline. Biden allied groups, including the Democratic National Committee, are also planning to engage fact checkers more aggressively and work with SMS carriers to dispel information about vaccines that is sent over social media and text message. The goal is to ensure that people who may have difficulty getting a vaccine because of issues like transportation see those barriers lessened or removed entirely. Oh, what? Biden allied groups, including the Democratic National Committee, are also planning to engage fact checkers more aggressively and work with SMS carriers to dispel information about vaccines that is sent over social media and text message. So now, 
the, somehow the how is the fuck is the DNC involved in all in any of this? Right? How are they involved in any of this? And this is not the lead. You buried the lead here, like eight paragraphs in, talking about how they want to filter your. What are you going to do? Is is, is AT and T going to send me a fact check notice if I'm texting with my mom about vaccines? Like, oh, you may have received some misinformation. What are you? What is this? Like, Instagram is 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 already annoying, right? With their little badges, every time like, anything comes up that's anything related to like medical anything, they just put a vaccine tag on or a COVID vaccine tag on it, right? They do the thing. But now we're talking about doing that via text message. This is a clear and overt overreach. And I don't understand how this is not being covered everywhere. Like we're talking about a public utility here. We're talking about a massive infringement on the First Amendment. And this is terrifying. Like the moment I get a fact check via text message, come on. And there's reasons that the government may need access to your text messages. Like say... Uh, there's a nuclear missile headed for the United States and you need to take cover now. Like I would very much appreciate an alert on my phone letting me know that's the case. Like that's that's good. Yes, okay. And that's really about it. That's really about it. Maybe a chemical attack. Who knows, right? There's some things like, there's some reasons. But filtering misinformation on my text messages, does that mean that you're going to filter all the text messages that get sent? You're going to filter them all and find out where the misinformation is? What are we doing here? And we saw the hints of this, people going after Telegram and what's going on with different, and Parler getting crushed. Like, tech is overreaching big time. And it seems like instead of instituting more First Amendment rights on social media, you're limiting them in the same way they did on social media outside of social media, which is incredibly terrifying. And then we have this, right? So this is something that you can see conservatives would have a great talking point and a great way to go about handling this and fighting this. That's what we would want to see from conservatives, right? Be like, hey, this is an infringement on the Constitution. But instead, you have morons like Representative Madison Cawthorn saying some silly-ass shit like this. And, and now they're starting to talk about going door to door to be able to take vaccines to the people. It, the thing about the mechanisms they would have to build to be able to actually execute that massive of a thing. And then think about the, what those mechanisms could be used for. They could then go door to door, take your guns. They could again that, go that, door to door, take your Bibles. Yeah. And so it's a, it's serious. And bro, I've Dude. Okay. Let's break that down. Line by line. I'll see if I can pause it in the middle. And, and now they're starting to talk about going door to door to be able to take vaccines to the people. Okay. So there's one lie. Take vaccines to the people. That's not true. That's you got. If you're gonna do this, if you're gonna act in this way, you got to at least be honest and correct with your information. Because one of the things that conservatives cannot seem to do is understand what they're fighting against, right? Whether it's critical race theory or vaccines, they say some silly shit like this. So no, they're not bringing vaccines door to door. So that's dumb. Okay, continue. It, the thing about the mechanisms they would have to build to be able to actually execute that massive of a thing. The mechanisms they have to build are already there. They do it all the time. They look at areas where there's low voter registration and they go register voters. This is just a normal thing. Like they know, they look at an area, like a county and be like, okay, we need to focus on this county because this county is, you know, whatever. Like they need, if they need to sign petitions for clean water. They're going to go to the areas where the clean water is not there, right? Where they have bad water. They're going to get people there to sign the petition. This is not hard to find like demographic data based, as, based on lots of things. So that's dumb as well. The infrastructure there isn't like targeting every home across the United States who has a person in it that's not vaccinated and showing up. And then, of course, the fear-mongering continues with... And then think about the, what those mechanisms could be used for. They could then go door-to-door, take your guns. They again that, go door-to-door, take your Bibles. Yeah. And so, it's a, it's so community leaders and religious leaders and people like that are going to try to show up at your house 
and tell you that they're going to take your guns. How the fuck do you think that would work? And why in the hell would they come and take your Bibles? Like, where, what part of your ass are you pulling this out of, Madison? Like, give me a fucking break, dude. Do you think you're, ma- you're taking an argument right here, right? This is a terrible thing. Them scanning your text messages, the door-to-door stuff, all of this, right? Too much. The door-to-door thing, who cares? People have been coming door-to-door to sell you dumb shit all the time. That doesn't matter. But the... The te- like this is a situation where you have an opportunity to like really gain leverage and like act like a fucking grown up, and you're gonna talk about them taking your guns and your Bibles, dude. This is there's a reason why fucking how old is this guy like 19 like shouldn't be in fucking politics. He's an idiot. He's a fucking idiot, and it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating to watch this and be like, wow, here's an opportunity that is a swing and a miss, Madison, swing and a miss. This is what the this is what the conservatives have to offer at fucking CPAC? Give me a break, guys. Like you can do better. You can do better and you should do better. And this is fucking embarrassing. That's what you're going to lean on. Well, that they're going to come uh, uh, give you vaccine information. Next thing they're going to take your guns and your Bibles. Well, are you going to say that about Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, you've let Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door. Next thing you do, they're going to swap out your Bible for their Bible. What? Come on, man. Like, do better, please. Can we do better here? Introducing the United States' new intelligence agency, the Capitol Police. Using that $2 billion they just got from, you know, AOC, essentially. AOC could have stopped all of this with just voting uh, no instead of present. Like a coward, but she didn't. So here, let's look at this here. The United States Capitol Police. After the attack, the future of the U.S. Capitol Police. It's been six months since rioters attacked the United States Capitol and our brave police officers and law enforcement partners who fought uh, valiantly to protect elected leaders and the democratic process. I'm pretty sure about uh, half of you guys just let people in. What about all the videos where you just, they fought valiantly to like let people in, just move the gates for them? That, do, you, do, you, do you forget about that or is that just something we're going to gloss over? That's not going to go in the history books. That's not going to be part of the official narrative, right? Did you just let people the fuck in? We will never forget the USCP officer Brian Sitnik and Howie Ligenbegood who died after the attack nor the sacrifices of nearly 150 law enforcement officers who were injured. Um, Are you going to forget the fact that you locked all your riot gear in a bus and then lost the key? Right? Like you didn't have riot gear because somebody locked it in a bus and couldn't find the key. Is that something you're going to forget? Because maybe these people would be alive or not injured. If they would have had proper equipment, that was locked inside of a bus. All right, keep going here. Since that, at that day, our team has been working with federal law enforcement agents to track down the suspects and bring them to justice. So far, more than 500 defendants face charges. Throughout the last six months, the United States Capitol Police has been working around the clock with our congressional stakeholders to support our officers, enhance security around the Capitol complex, and pivot towards an intelligence-based protective agency. The USCP continues to implement recommendations from a series of post-January 6th reviews, including blah, 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 blah. Now, I want to look at this right here. This is, this is, this is where it gets really interesting. Enhanced member protection. This is something they're working on. The USCP has enhanced our staffing within the uh Dignitary Protection Division, as well as coordinated enhancement security for members of Congress outside of the National Capital Region. The department is also in the process of opening regional field offices in California and Florida with additional regions in near future to investigate threats to members of Congress. Really? Really? So you're going to have field offices around the country. You're the fucking Capitol Police, okay? You're not the Ministry of Truth, 
All right. So let's get this straight. You're going to have field up. You're now a, a baby CIA junior. That's what this is. You're now an, an intelligence agency. You can't even fucking get your right gear out of a goddamn van. But now you're an intelligence agency and you're going to start surveilling our social media. So if somebody says something mean about AOC or Mitch McConnell, you're going to come to their house and tell them to calm down. Is that what we're doing here? Is that where we're headed? This is some Orwellian fucking shit right here, dude. This is like V for Vendetta. This is odd. Odd. And the thing about this is, like, AOC could have stopped this. AOC could have stopped this. Any of the squad could have stopped this. One person from the squad could have stopped this. But they voted present because they've got Nancy Pelosi's hand right up their ass pulling their fucking strings. And this is what we have to deal with now. Another On top of the NSA, the CIA, the FBI... We got the we got the Capitol Police now. The Capitol Police as an intelligence agency with field offices around the country, thanks to that two billion they got from the government. Really. This is absolutely infuriating. To look at this and think that this is like this is just or fair or appropriate is insane. We've got enough. And the thing is. FBI agents were at, they were embedded in these groups that were at the Capitol riots. They knew it was happening and they still didn't do anything to stop. So you got to think what else is going on there? What else is going on? And you have people being like, well, our our intelligence agencies would never, whatever. If they're not, if they weren't embedded in these groups and they're not doing their fucking jobs, that's what their, that's what their job is. So they were there. We know they were there. We know there was at least one there and you got to understand there was more than that. Right now, were they going to stop the whole thing? Probably that's unlikely between five, 10, 15, however many were there, but they should have known something was up and, and the Capitol police failing on that day on January 6th had nothing to do with their lack of funding. It had to do with their lack of competence. And now you just rewarded them for lack of competence by making them an intelligence agency. This is fucked y'all. This is some ministry of truth Orwellian 1984 shit. And it sucks to see this. Super frustrating. What are we doing here? And there's no outrage about this. There's no outrage. So odd. And the thing, yeah, and this is the frustrating thing is that I want to say this over and over again. And I know that maybe maybe the Ministry of Truth is going to show up at my house saying that AOC should have stopped this and she didn't. Who is she even? What does she even stand for anymore? I remember a time when she stood for something. And now it's this, funding the police, creating a new intelligence agency. Thank you so much, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This is on you, girl. All right, going to wrap up the state of things with some more not fun news. And maybe next, maybe the show on Friday, hopefully with the Q&A, will be a little bit more fun than what we've got going on here. But this is very important and something that I try to keep a really close eye on. U.S. had more drug overdose deaths on record in 2020, CDC says. U.S. overdose overdose deaths soared almost 30% to a record 93,331 in the pandemic year of 2020, according to the CDC. Deaths increased by more than 21,000 by comparison to 2019. The CDC's National Center for Health Statistics said in the data published Wednesday, that means an average of 256 Americans died from overdose every day, up to 198, up from 198 the year before. Since 1999, overdose deaths have increased 450%. 
Uh, let's go down here and see what's what's the culprit. I wonder I wonder what the culprit is of this. The surge in overdose came during a year that saw hundreds of thousands of Americans killed by COVID-19. It illustrates how the pandemic was worsened. Um, other medical problems from mental health issues triggered by isolation to conditions that went untreated because patients delayed visiting their doctors out of fear of catching the virus. Yeah. The consequences of lockdowns and fear mongering go way beyond deaths of COVID. Right, so we got to add up all the years lost of people's lives because of the way that COVID was handled. Interesting. <sighs> the, the, the yeah, here's some common sense. The drug crisis has likely been exa- exacerbated by pandemic-induced lockdowns and recession, with millions of workers losing their jobs and support services like clinics and counseling shutting down or only available online. Opioids, including primarily, I'm adding primarily in there, primarily prescription pain medication caused three quarters of overdose deaths last year. According to the CDC, the number of cases rose from 69,710 to an increase of almost an increase of almost 18,000. The country has been suffering an opioid epidemic for the last decade, leading to multi-billion dollar lawsuits against companies that made the drugs. Oh God. So we're going to blame, people are going to blame this on fentanyl. It's not, it's oxy. Okay, these are Oxycontin deaths. And even if the, if the overdose weren't in, 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 uh, actually from Oxycontin itself, it was Oxycontin leading to something like fentanyl. And the whole thing is, right, you have like people, just people on the right villainizing like Mexicans or whoever for bringing over drug traffickers, cartels for bringing over fentanyl. They're just fulfilling an, ins- an insatiable uh, craving that was created by the pharmaceutical industry who I honestly at this point fucking hate deeply. I hate the pharmaceutical industry so deeply. I would love to see the whole fucking thing nationalized because right now we're paying for the medication. We're paying for the development. We're paying for the R&D. And then those motherfuckers get to patent what we pay for and then upcharge us for it. These are fucking corrupt pieces of shit. I'm done with this. I'm done with this pretending like the free market is going to fix the fucking pharmaceutical industry. No, nationalize it. I'm done. I'm, I'm fucking finished with it. I'm finished with it. This is so stupid. It's so corrupt. It's so broken. We can't have nice things. We don't get to play this game anymore. Nationalize all of it. We're already paying for the R&D. Okay? That's what universities are for. We're putting people in hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt that they'll never get out of, which decreases the quality of service you get from your doctor because they need to see as many people as possible so those five-minute visits are all you get. Our quality of life here is shit compared to the amount of money that we make. The richest country in the world has one of the worst life expectancies of any developed nation in the, on the planet. We spend more per person on health care. And to boot, we have an opioid epidemic and, and, and record high, record high overdose deaths, deaths thanks to our fucking health care industry. Is that really how this is supposed to work? Wanted to show this, wanted to, wanted to just highlight this. The cost of the lockdown go way beyond people losing their jobs and economic suffering. Economics lead to death, right? Poor economic situations. You're seeing this all over the world right now. The economic collapse is leading to people being, to unrest, poverty, depression, and death. And that's fueled by an industry that has zero incentive to see people get better. Zero incentive to see people get well. It profits, it relies on people being broken and sick. I'm done with it. I, 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 I can't, I don't have it. I morally cannot 
sit here and say, yeah, free market forces are going to fix this. They aren't. Come at me in the comments if you want. They're not going to. There are places, there are industries in this world where the free market makes the most sense in the world and pharmaceuticals is not one of them. I'm convinced now. I can't do this anymore. I can't fucking pretend. Can't do the song and dance. So that's where we're at. Now, over 93,000 over, overdose deaths, three quarters of which from opioids. That's where we're at. Crazy times. Crazy times. Now with that, sad, sad news. It's time for my favorite part of the show. Where I give you something to think about. got to thinking the other day, you know, so much of our decisions around policy and what we think is possible and what the way things should go are predicated on the understanding that the federal government doesn't work for us, right? Whether you're on the left, whether you're on the right, you understand like it's broken. It doesn't work. And I honestly haven't seen a candidate, not one. Not Trump, not even not even Bernie in a way. I mean, Bernie was the closest I think we've gotten to someone like this. Um, sure as fuck, not Hillary Clinton. Obama ran on this, didn't fulfill that promise. George W. Bush was George W. Bush, <laughs> right? So in my real lifetime uh, that I've known and really been involved and like old enough to understand kind of what was going on, I've never seen someone actually say that government could work better. Right. No one, no one ever offered an op, op, option for say, Hey, like this is, we're going to prove that the, the government can actually provide value in your life. They, they, that they can do a thing that they can repeal regulations that don't make sense. That they can institute regulations and enforce um, antitrust laws and things like that, that really do help the country. We haven't seen that, right? We've seen things that are triggering that are, that are divisive now that that divisive politics and clickbait politics is where we live. And I'm curious, this, 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 what, the, what the world would be like, right, if somebody had the grassroots movement and ran on saying, hey, we're going to show you that the government has merit, right? We're going to prove that the government can do something appropriately, right? And, of course, there are things. I mean, there are things the government does well, like, you know, keep military contractors in business. That's a great, that's a, that's a, that's a really important part of our reality, Right? Oh, it's, it's a great thing that to find out that we can bail out, you know, uh, big banks that fucked everybody over and created an economic crisis and still make sure that their CEOs and their C-suite get bonuses, right? We've really taken care of the people that matter. And I think the shift as a government, as a whole government, whether it's Democrats, Republicans, whatever, right? And more than rhetoric, because it's been in rhetoric, this has been there. This has been a part of the conversation, but in reality, it hasn't, it hasn't come to fruition, it's a shift towards working people, not working class white people, not working class black people, not like not, not not the the Latinx or whatever the fuck you want to call that whole that whole demographic, but working people, people that work, not people that live off of dividends, not people that work the market, not people that are hedge fund managers, not those people. Those people, while they have it, they they, they create wealth, I guess, or do whatever the fuck they do that make money off of speculation. Honestly, quite honestly. Fuck those people. I want someone to be running. I don't give a fuck which party they're with. 
They could be in the Care Bear Party for all I give a shit. But some people, local, state, and national representatives, that focus on real working people. And I don't mean push a socialist agenda. I don't mean push a libertarian agenda. I mean figure out what the fuck makes sense and have honest conversations, honest dialogue. I wish debates would still go on while a president was in office, right? Fireside chats, long conversations, challenging interviews, town halls while the president was in office. That'd be huge. Accountability from the fucking people. And I know there's 330 some odd million people in the United States and that'd be really hard to attain, but we could pull it off. We could very much pull it off. Increase accountability. Increase the focus on the working people of this world and what, or of this country and what they need. And build that back. And we're seeing that a little bit. I mean, I have to give Biden credit for the, the child tax credit. I think that's going to be a thing that's going to be a thing that's very difficult to take away. And I think it's a great place to start. But as we move forward and as we keep going, think about instead of this nihilistic view of how broken the government is and how, how incompetent and how ineffective they are, what would it take to streamline, make more efficient, and show what, what would a government that functions well look like? And you can say, you know, the, I think that libertarianism is kind of nihilistic and it's like it doesn't exist, right? And I think that socialists are a little bit uh, utopian in their view. Like, well, if we just give them more power to do more, then it'll be better. Like, these are both naive. What does it really look like? Because it's not a single system. It's not. But it's something to think about, right? Like, what does it really look like for a government to work and function? And what can we hold our representatives to account to make happen for us? And who's doing that? Who's the closest? Jump over the partisan fence. Think about who's the closest to making that happen. We'll see. Thanks so much, you guys, for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube. We'll figure our tech issues out over here. The video's a little weird. Don't worry. I'll fix it. I'll find a way. I always do. I always do. You guys have a great day, great week. We'll see you all in a couple days. Double episode this week. Excited for it. And as always, keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.